0: In Genesis, we're going to get a little further than we have in the last three weeks. and uh, So open your Bibles to that very first book, first chapter, first page of the first book there, uh, the book of Genesis or the book of Origins. Uh, last week, somebody asked me, they said, uh, how long are you going to go in this study? And I said, I don't know, because <laughs> I've never taught this before. I've never preached this before, so I, I honestly, I don't know. And... Uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm hoping that you are too. I really hope that you're learning. Um, the whole goal of, of Bible study uh, is is really to reveal the truth of God to you so that you can live your life in pleasing Him. And this first book of the Bible is so key to the rest of the Scriptures. And tonight, you're going to hear me say again and again and again, but I, I've got lots of proof texts from the Scriptures but we're going to look at um, how important it is for us to really take the Bible as it's written. It's so important for us to, to take it that way. And not to mythologize, not to uh, add anything anywhere, but just to read it. And that's revealed to us. It's what God wants us to know. I, the last couple of weeks, I think I've been somewhat offensive. And I, I don't apologize. I apologize for a moody voice, but I don't apologize for my stance on the scripture and and believing truly that the Bible tells us as we study this that the earth was created in six days. I don't make any apologies for that. My my attitude might be wrong, but I believe my theology is correct because it comes right from the scriptures. And uh, let's just look at that really quick. Look at the first verse. In the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. And then jump all the way down to verse 31. We'll get there in a couple of weeks. Then God saw everything, chapter 1, verse 31. God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was, this comment, very good. And evening, morning were the sixth day. Everything that God had created in six days was exactly what He had planned. And He makes the comment, it's very good. Now remember, the Bible. And this particular book is historical. This is God's history. And God has revealed it to you and I. It's a historical book. I believe there's lots of great teaching, there's lots of great theology here, but primarily this is a book of history, and God meant it to be that way. Look at verse two, I mean, verse one of chapter two. Thus the heavens and the earth, and all the host of them, were, look at that word. What's it say? Finished. Finished. So if you read the Bible and understand it literally from verse 1 of chapter 1 to verse 2 of chapter 2, you'll discover that there is no place in there, in this text, for extra days, for, for, for months, years, billions, millions. There's no extra time in this book, as you read it, but there's been a lot of people that have, that have added this and kind s- of shove that in over there. i got some thoughts about why they would do that, but I, I think this scripture is clear. The word finished we just read, the each day of creation, evening, morning, and then the verse we read at the end of chapter 1 that God had finished everything and he said it was indeed very good. That's the Genesis record. That's the histo- history book that God has given to us to read. That's what he wants us to know. Nothing more, nothing less. So as a Christian, uh, it's easy to get caught up in many different thoughts and ideas. I just believe that as a, if I'm going to find fulfillment and joy in this life, I'm just going to read the scriptures, and it's going to tell me. The scriptures will tell me everything that God wants me to know. Here's my question to those that don't believe that the earth was created in six literal days. Why do you want to add millions of years to the Genesis record? That's just a question that I have. Why why do you want to do that? And here's the answer. Because academia and science... And your biology teacher in high school or college told you so. i I believe that's the answer. Science and academia, if if any are here tonight, they think that I'm a moron right now by saying this. you You know what I'm saying. They think that you're moronic for for suggesting that the world was really created in six day year. that is absurd they'll say. And so they go on with their theories about how it's been created. O- by chance, randomly, over millions of years. And remember last week, the different professors, the different scientists, none of them had the same millions. One was billions, one was millions, one was six, one was 20. There's no consensus. They don't know. They have no clue. And they just add and add and add because they need a lot of time to get mutations. You know why? Because they can't find any. There, There aren't any. There are none. They haven't found any, and it's really interesting. So why do you want to add more time to the Genesis record? And I believe that the answer is this, because I want to have credibility in academia or credibility with my biology friend. I don't want to, you know, I want to make friends, and I want to influence people for Christ, but I I believe this is true. I believe every word that is written here. So God's word is true, and by the way, By the way, Jesus believed in God's word. Look at this verse. I love this one here. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is what? God has given us his word. And Jesus claims that the word is true. Now, Jesus made many claims, and he actually talked about creation. He talked about creating male and female. You remember in Matthew, he talks about that. So Jesus believed in the Genesis record. That's my point. And all of God's word that you and I have bound up in our Bible, this canon of scriptures, this, this you know, collection of 66 different books, is a record. It's a historical record of God's creation, well, the, at least the first portion of it. And Jesus believed it all. Every word is truth. And I believe that the creation account in Genesis is true and accurate, just as I believe all of scripture is true. And all of Scripture is accurate, and the reason is because it came from God. You know this verse here, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. How did God give the Scriptures to us? The, The word inspiration in the Greek means God breathed it out. God, through inspiration, breathed out. I love the breath of God, the wind, the fire, the Holy Spirit. There's many different images of or types of God. But God breathed out, he inspired scriptures, and all scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness. And then verse 17, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's given us all scripture, and he's breathed it out by inspiration. He's spoken through men. The scriptures aren't random thoughts written by men, And here's a great verse, 2 Peter, for prophecy, or the word, never came by the will of man. Paul didn't write what he wanted to write, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. God inspired men, regular, ordinary men. Have you ever checked out the pedigree of Matthew, Luke, John? Luke had more credibility. He was a Gentile. The other guys were just uneducated fishermen, and God used them. But how many of you love to read the book of John? And the reason you love to read it is because it was inspired through this man named John that was just a fisherman, just a son of Zebedee. And he writes all this stuff inspired by God. I love this. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Love those scriptures, that word moved there. Again, by force, if you look it up in the Greek, by wind. It's a real interesting, interesting word. So the fact that God moved people to write what he wanted written, the historical record. I told you from the beginning of our study how I've come to view the Bible. And I think it's really important. Hermeneutics is, is an interesting word. Hermes was a Greek god, but they use this term. Hermeneutics is the study of interpreting the Bible. And I would encourage you to read on it. You can write down your little word and Google and, and get some information. I've got some books if you want to look into it deeper. But, but the study of biblical interpretation is hermeneutics. Number one, one of the I'm just going to give you a couple of, of real quick laws of hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. The Bible, as written, is to be taken literally. And when you read the Bible, just take it literally. Now, there's many different translations. I don't know what you're reading. You might be reading an ASV, an NIV. uh, ESV is the new one, English Standard Version. I've got uh, New King James. You might have a King Jimmy Bible because you like these and thous. But when you read through them, you're going to find that these are really great and accurate translations. NIVs not as good as others but it's still good it's still readable it's you can still learn from it and so all of these things are important so the number one of the number one rules of hermeneutics is that we we take the bible as written i shared with you that long title that that, that first principle the verbal plenary plenary i always say it wrong inspirational view of the scripture verbal the words plenary all of the words inspired, we just read that, God-breathed of the Scriptures. That's what I believe. So when you read it, you have to keep that in mind. And then when the plain truth of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other what? Sense. You just read it, and God wants you to understand it. It's not difficult. The Catholic Church for many years disguised the Word of God in, in the Latin and the common man wasn't able to read. But the King James Version, the 1611 version that most of our Bibles really uh, go back to, was written in, in the common English of the day. So that the common person in England could just read it. And you and I can understand the Bibles. We, we can read and we can understand the Bible. Very important. Take it Literally. And when the plain sense makes common sense, seek no other. And then number three, this is kind of interesting. Number three, this I'm adding this one, by the way. Science is not a hermeneutic. Science is not a hermeneutic. In other words, don't try to interpret the Bible with science. Stop it. If you're doing that, stop it. It's not a hermeneutic principle. And you're going to get led down a wrong path. It's not a hermeneutical principle. Principle. Science, uh, it, it's not a, a principle of interpretation. In other words, listen to this. Science or the Bible never bows down to anything. Don't make the Bible bow down to science. It, think about where did science come from? Just think. It came from people, right, who learned from other people. So it's based in humanism and naturalism. We could go off on naturalism. Scientists really believe in what's called naturalism, and what they're trying to do is 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 get you sidetracked from believing in a God. Naturalists just believe whatever is nature. Nature is nature's God. God is nature. God is in everything. It sounds kind of like Baha'i or some strange religions. But but these are the people that have written science. The Bible does not bow to silence or <laughs> excuse me, science. So when I read Genesis 1:1, look at it. Look at Genesis one In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Or you remember this. Here's the, the, the pronunciation. This is the way to pronounce it, not the way it's really spelled in Hebrew, but Reshith Elohim Barah. Reshith, in the beginning. Elohim, that's the plural name for God. And Barah, I believe that God at some point in time, I, you know, when when did God do? At some point in time, I believe that He created out of nothing. That's bara, or in the Latin ex nihilo, that God created out of nothing, without any pre-existing matter. Everything that you see in the universe, everything that you see right now, all the matter that we're sitting on, the stuff you drove your car down the street in, God created all of that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God just spoke, and he created what we know as the universe, and I believe that as he created, he created everything mature. In other words, when he made rocks that looked a million years old, he made them mature. When he created the stars... You know, light in the distance, when you measure light in the distance, and we're just seeing that light now, he made it mature. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? The chicken. He made the chicken. He made an adult man. He didn't have to grow. He made So all of those things tell us that God created everything that now exists in the universe fully matured, and he spoke it into existence in six solar days. And on the seventh day, God said, I'm done, I'm finished. And and everything was very good. And I believe he did that about 6,000 years ago. And again, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, and I proved it from the Scripture. So you might go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. How did you do it? Well, again, I believe that everything in the Scripture is true. So we looked at the Scripture, and I showed you that. Here's the little chart right behind me. You can put up all three of those, all three of them. 2000 years from Adam to Noah to Abraham. So we first have from Genesis chapter 5 you can read the genealogies. If you're really into genealogies, read it. It's right there in Genesis chapter 5 through Genesis chapter 11. You have 2000 years from Adam to Noah to uh, Adam to Noah and then to finally to Abraham. And then you have another 2000 years from Genesis 12 Through all the kings and First and Second Chronicles, you get to the end of Chronicles, if you read all of the genealogies in there, you have another 2,000 years, Abraham to Jesus. And then it's been a couple thousand years since Jesus, right? So there you have 6,000 years. Now, you might say, well, uh, you really expect me to believe that, Pastor Lee? (coughs) I mean, there's lots of theologians. My favorite Bible teacher on the radio doesn't believe that, and so I, I just can't go along with you, Pastor Lee. Well, I don't care who you listen to. And I've listened to the same people. In fact, there's some that I really love listening to because they're such great speakers. But when they come to certain areas of Scripture, I just have to go, wow, where did they get that? It's not what the Scripture says. Now, in the past couple of weeks, we've talked about evolution. And that's what I'm saying, evolution. There are many pastors, and there are some theologians that teach extra they've added extra in between verse 1 of chapter 1 and verse 2 of chapter 2 they've added some time and dates and and they not necessarily dates but they've added time in there billions of years and they talk about evolution through countless mutations over billions of years multiple random changes where cells develop on their own They get smart and they get higher and higher and they form greater and higher forms of life. That's what they teach. And yet, as we proved last week, no scientist can tell you that there's ever been a change of kind, remember? If Darwinian evolution is correct, then there's got to be a change of kind. Remember the beaks? Different beaks, not a change of kind. You still have birds. Different adaptations. Plants and animals, adaptations. But you don't have different kinds. There aren't any. All the records prove that. And so they add billions and billions of years, and you kind of get lost in the billions, right? It's like, well, I'm not really sure where we're at and don't understand all this, but science and scientists uh, have never found mutations in the fossil record, and you cannot find it in... The genetic code or DNA. We're learning a lot about DNA and genetic code because of computers and how fast they can do things. And we're discovering, science is discovering, that you can you can change, you can add this and you can add that, but you can't make a change of kind. They, they still can't do that, and they still try to do that or say they can do that. In other words, things never evolve up. Things don't get in, come into a higher form of life. We can expand a few years of our lifetime, but we're never going to find the fountain of youth and live forever. Our bodies are in decline. Everything is in decay. Entropy, science, it can be proven again and again when you per- take it into the laboratory and everybody can see it and it all works over and over. Or thermodynamics, everything is burning out, everything is going slower. Span of light has been measured and it's less than it was in the 1700s. Very interesting. The sun's burning out. Everything is, is getting less and less and less, slowly spooling down, decaying and dying. And I believe, as I read this record, this historical record here, that God miraculously and powerfully created a mature earth and universe, and he did that in how many days? Why do you say that to me? Why are you telling me six days? Because it's right here. Again, I I truly believe that we need to trust and believe what the scriptures say. So, when God finished creating the universe, and the crowning point of his creation was man on the sixth day, everything that God made, this is a really important point, was perfect. It was very good. Remember, he said that, and it was finished. And, and, and it was just perfect. There was no decay. There was no decline. There was no need to change anything. And the reason I know that is look at verse 31, chapter 1. Look at, look at that verse. God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good, so the evening and morning were the sixth day. Very good means no death. Very good means no corruption. Very good means no sin. There was no, nothing like that. Everything was perfect. Nothing was in decline. Everything was as God made it. Adam was a perfect human, and he would never age in this perfect place that God had made him because there wasn't any decline, no death, no corruption, no further changes of any kind because it was very good. Death didn't exist. Now, that's a kind of an interesting concept. It's philosophical in on one hand but it's Bible truth on the other. Death did not exist, and there couldn't have been any animals dying. Therefore, listen, how do you get natural selection out of that? Think about that. How do you get survival of the fittest when there's no death or decay? Interesting, isn't it? Because God made everything in six days, and it was perfect, and there was no sin, no corruption. So when did everything change? You know, you know this answer, right? Genesis chapter what? Three. Genesis chapter three. What happened in Genesis chapter three? Sin. Disobedience. Adam sinned and brought the consequence. When you eat of the fruit, you shall surely That's what the scriptures teach. That's what changed everything. Up until that point, perfect, perfect, very good. No decay, no death. Everything was perfect. No corruption. So corruption and decay began in Genesis chapter 3. That's that, okay, in a nutshell, that's what the Genesis record teaches. I know I've kind of thrown those things out quickly, but that's what the Scriptures teach. That's the record of Genesis here. The Bible is true whether you're talking about creation or salvation, and that's huge. Because if you don't believe in the beginning of the Bible... If you don't believe that, you're going to have a huge problem when you start moving into the New Testament because Jesus said, I believe in the Old Testament. He quoted the Old Testament, and he quoted creation of Adam and Eve, and like I said in Matthew, he, he believed it. So you've got a big problem. If you don't believe this, you're going to have a lot of problems when you move into the New Testament, The Bible was not written by a scientist or a theologian. Like that scripture I showed you, the Bible was written by simple men who were inspired by God, and they wrote those words down that the Holy Spirit had given them. And God is the author of the creation account, just as God is the author of the New Testament. He's the author of our whole Bible. And here's my next point here. The New Testament affirms Genesis. I want to show you this. I think this is so important. And we're going to look at day two and three tonight. Okay, we're going to get there. But the New Testament affirms Genesis and all of the creation history. It's confirmed in the New Testament. And by the way, there's another hermeneutical principle that I didn't mention earlier, and that's let Scripture interpret Scripture. Why do I always throw Scripture behind me on the screen? Because I want you to see that what I'm saying is true. I'm just telling you what the Scripture says. I think it's really important to have, let the Scripture interpret Scripture. So important. Matthew 13, 35. Here's the first verse. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundations of the world. That kind of tells us there was a foundation, right? This is New Testament. And then look at this. New Testament affirms that the world had a beginning. John 1, 3. All things were made through him. Uh, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In other words, the New Testament is declaring that God created everything. Nothing happened randomly, nothing happened by chance. God made it all. Here's a couple more, real quick. Acts 4. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth, and the sea and all that's in them. Again, this is corroborating the Old Testament. Again, next. Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Again, the creation of the world. 2 Corinthians 4.6, here's another one. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. There's an interesting one. Remember last week we were talking about what God did on day one, that God commanded light and light was just because God commanded it. He made light, boom, and it happened. And and I shared with you last week about how I believe that was God revealing who he was over his creation. I I really believe that's true. The New Testament affirms God laid the foundations of the earth. Here's some more for you. Hebrews 1.10, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Hebrews 11.3, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word. Remember how, how did God create? He spoke. It says it right here. He's framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. In other words, he created by speaking, and he made everything from nothing. That's what the New Testament, it's affirming everything that we've read in the Old Testament. And then Revelation 4, verse 11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created... All things, not some things. And and they weren't mutants and they didn't change and there wasn't transitions and billions of years because he made them the way he wanted them made and by your will they existed and were created. You made it, these adult, these mature things. Revelation 10.6, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it. Even Revelation declares that God created all things. And I could go on and on and on. There's so many more. But here's my point. If you don't believe in the historical account, the Genesis record that we've been reading, that God created everything out of nothing, ex nihilo, if you don't believe that, then, then you've got a problem. You, you have a problem with the rest of the Scriptures. How can you believe the historical account of the death of, of Jesus in, on Golgotha? and on the cross. How can you believe it? It's a a historical account, just like the record of Genesis. How Are you sure that Jesus died? If you don't believe in Genesis, how can you believe the New Testament? That's my question. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? it? It makes you uncomfortable because it makes you think twice about, what do I really, really believe? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Anyway, again, all through the Old Testament, you get its types Dave and I were talking about that earlier. There are types of Christ and types of salvation and types of sacrifices all throughout the Old Testament. And then Jesus, bang, comes on the scene. The Word became flesh and He dwelt among us. The living Word, God alive, Emmanuel, God with us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the, the, the uh, only begotten Son. Oh, it's, it's a glorious, glorious truth. But you've got to believe in the, the Old Testament if you really are going to believe in the New Testament. Look at what the New Testament says about the creation of man. Acts seventeen, Acts seventeen twenty-six, and he was made from one blood, every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Just talking about God made every man. He made everyone. First Timothy two thirteen, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Romans five twelve. Therefore, just as through one man's sin entered the world, who is he talking about? Adam. And death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. The great declaration of the Apostle Paul. And then Romans 5.18, Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous acts, The free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. If you don't believe in the creation of Adam, how can you believe in salvation in one man, Jesus Christ? That's the point here. That's why Jesus died. He died because of sin. Sin was a result, Genesis chapter 3, of the sin of Adam, the disobedience of Adam and Eve. And sin brought death and decay to every part of God's creation. Weeds and dead plants and dead animals. i drive up and down the 18 home. Poor little animals. Roadkill. Almost every day. It's sad. Some of those animals, you know, were probably walked out there really old and couldn't run fast enough across the street. But death and decay and all these things, every part of God's creation is in decay, in decline, it's going to die because of man's sin. One man's sin, but but the beauty of the New Testament, one man's righteous gift, and we can all be justified. We talked about justification, but that verse, Romans 5:18, that one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification. I love that theological truth of justification. So, when you read all that, you come away with this glorious truth that God created everything, and it's powerful and wonderful, and, and the same God that created sent Jesus to die and to pay the penalty of my sin because all have sinned. That's what the Scripture teaches. The bottom line is I believe in the historical record, the Genesis record that we're reading. The creation of the universe is true. The New Testament confirms the Genesis record. Record. Again, I've given you maybe 10 verses, but there's hundreds of them in the New Testament. Here's what Henry Morris, the writer of the book, the big old thick book I showed you a couple weeks ago, the Genesis record. Notice that this is a long quote, but I put it up so you could follow it with me. The book of Genesis is the foundation of all true history, as well as true science and philosophy. It is above all else the foundation of God's revelation as given in the Bible. No other book of the Bible is quoted as copiously or referred to as so frequently in other books of the Bible, as is Genesis. Henry Morris is a scientist, by the way, Christian. Now, last week we looked at God creating lights. He turned the lights on in a sense. Let's look at that real quick, and we'll jump into the The next verses but look at verse 1 again of Genesis chapter 1 we have day 1 God created light in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void the darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters then God said let there be light and there was light so when God created this light remember I gave you these two different words it's ower is the the Hebrew word in verse 3 and that word means the presence of light the word used for lights as in stars is a different word. It's Mawa O'er. It's spelled differently. It's a different word. And it means light bearers. So first we have God revealing the presence of light. And then in chapter or in verse 14, we have the sun, moon, and stars. They're, they become the light bearers. So this light in verse 3 is God revealing himself at the beginning of creation of the universe. He just Let his light shine over the void of the darkness. It's a beautiful truth. 1 John 1, 5 here is the next verse that I have, my proof text. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So God is in creation. He turns the light on. He reveals himself over creation. Verse 4, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And so there was evening and morning the first day. Now, somebody might read that and go, ha, I caught you, Pastor Lee. There, it, there's a discrepancy right there. The sun wasn't created, and the moon wasn't created. Verse 5 says there was morning and evening. That's, there's the discrepancy right there in the Bible. I, I've actually heard people say this, and, and I've, I haven't been in a debate, but I've watched different Christians' debate. And that's one of the things that they'll bring up right away. So here's the, here's the truth for me as a believer. I would ask the question of another Christian. i say, well, so you don't really believe that God could just make, cycle the light on and off? He, he's going to make everything anyway. So you don't believe he could just cycle it right away? I mean, it's so plausible. God can do whatever he wants. So he creates light, and then he cycles the light. That's, that's all he's doing. He's cycling the light. Right from the very beginning. On day four, God connects the light to the sun, moon, and stars for this cycle that we see on a daily basis. But on day one, He just cycled the light on and off. And He said it was very, very good. So on day one, God creates the elements, which are shapeless and void. That's what the scripture says. Void means there was no life there, there was, it was uninhabitable, and it's surrounded by darkness. And then he reveals himself over creation, over the presence of light. And then he organizes everything into a cycle, he's beginning to organize. It, when you read the scripture, you'll see this again and again, God is a, he's so organized in everything that he does. And so he creates from chaos, he's beginning to create order, this cycle, light, the cycle of light, day and night, or or one solar day. That's that's what he's doing. Day two. Now let's move on here. Day two, verse six. We see a separation of water. This is really interesting. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters, which were under the firmament from the waters, which were above the firmament. See the difference there? And it was so, and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Now, verse 6 begins, and you've heard me say this again, but I think it's so important, and each day you're going to hear it again. God did something to initiate creation. What did he do? He spoke. You'll see that all the time. Verse 6, then God spoke he said it he said it and that's how the earth was created he spoke things into existence let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the water from the water so on day 1 you have chaos god's already made the elements there's there's water and earth he's made those he's created all the elements but they're all mixed up they're all confused it's in chaos his light comes over The whole thing, he begins this cycle, and he's creating and ordering everything that we know in our universe. It's very interesting. On day two, God separates the water in two different places. He divides water that's on the earth with the atmosphere above, and he puts some water is in the atmosphere and some water is on the earth. That's what that's telling us. He makes this division of water here in verse 6, the word firmament, it's the Hebrew word, rakia, and all it means is expanse. Man has come up with this great term. They look out to the distance and they say, there's nothing out there. All I see is space. That's really what that word means, expanse. It's just, what do you call that? God calls it firmament or Raqia, and it means expanse, or well, you can look this word up in a couple other places, and I didn't have a proof text for this, but all it means is just a thin, it's a thin spread out like uh, a, a jeweler would take gold, and he would hammer it out and make it real thin. And so God's saying there's this thin layer in between this atmosphere in between earth and the water on the earth, and the water in the sky. That's what he's talking about. He, he's separating the water vapor in the sky from the land. Now, I, as I was doing this, I, I've got a friend that, that I fly hang gliders with. There's two of them that work at JPL Laboratories in Pasadena. They're both scientists. We don't get into deep discussions. He thinks I'm a moron because I believe in creation. And, and whatever, you know. And we talk about things, and they have this new telescope, so we've been talking about this telescope that they have, very interesting uh, telescope that they have up in the, the uh, atmosphere right now. It's been up there for a few years, and they, they can, it's not the Hubble, there's another one, and they can see way off into the distance. They take these beautiful color pictures, and I had one to show you, but for some reason it didn't get put in. I had this great photo that I I got out of there. But one of the many things that scientists are finding as they take pictures and as they get closer to the planets, the how many planets in our solar system? Eight. You probably can name a few of them. I've got them written here because I couldn't even name them all. But but there's eight in our solar system. And those, those when they get really close and they take picture close-up pictures, they see craters and they see ravines and they see signs of like water that's kind of washed away, eroded away on the planets. And they found ice. You know, they found some ice on, I think it was, it's not Mars, It's one of the other planets, they found ice. Water. How did water get up there? Think about it. Think about this in creation. God is separating, in the second day of creation he's separating the water from the earth and the atmosphere and he just kind of... And that water just goes out. Some of it stays in, in the close atmosphere. Some of it just goes out. Very interesting. But they're, they're seeing these, these bits of water, and they're finding the remnants and the effects of water on the eight planets in our solar system. It's amazing. Henry Morris said this, the waters above made a protective blanket of water vapor. And he suggested And he uses this term, this vapor blanket that goes around the Earth. So some of the water went out into space, some of it just made this protective layer around the planet. He says this, he says it would serve as a global greenhouse, maintaining a uniformly pleasant temperature all over the world. And that would provide a perfect place for all plant life to grow very rapidly, the vapor blanket would filter out the destructive ultraviolet radiation and other cosmic rays. There's all these different cosmic things that are the Earth's being bombarded with, but our atmosphere protects us from that. And think about the second day of creation when there was a, a, a difference between the water on the Earth and the water that protects the Earth, this vapor blanket. Man could live a lot longer because not man isn't being bombarded with all the the cosmic and ultraviolet radiation. A vapor blanket would provide the necessary reservoir for potential worldwide, cataclysmic, break up the earth, pour down from heaven flood. The flood. The flood is spoken about in the scriptures and this vapor blanket would would really help us understand where the water came from. Genesis 1, 6 through 8 says that God separated water some of the water went up, some of the water stayed on the earth. That's what that means, that, that section or that verse, verse 6. There was water up in the atmosphere, and at the flood, the water came pouring down. Look at this verse. We'll get there in a month or two, but Genesis 7. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on that day of the fountain of the great deep were broken ups and The windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So you have this this deluge of rain that just, where did it come from? Well, God had this water. He separated, and he was protecting the plant life and the planet in a different way than we are protected now. Very interesting. So this cataclysmic flood that we read about in, in Genesis, creating deep canyons quickly, sedimentation or layers everywhere. And all living animals and plants, including dinosaurs, are buried. You say, buried? Where were they all buried? Well, you see it all over the earth, the fossil record. Millions of dead fossils buried in sedimentary layers all over the earth. The highest mountains, the lowest valleys, they're everywhere. Why? Because there was this cataclysmic breakup, this deluge of rain that falls down, and the whole earth is flooded. We'll get there. Again, Genesis chapter 7. So day one, light. Day two, separation of water. And here's the takeaway tonight as I kind of wrap this up. I've been going too long on Wednesday night, so I tried to come back a little bit. But here's, here's what we take away as we read about God's historical account of creation. What does it all mean? It means... That our God is sovereign, and it means that He is all powerful. Our God is all powerful. Someone said this notice this quote behind me God is the only uncaused being who is in need of nothing or no one else. You gotta read that like three times to to figure it out. He's an uncaused being who is in need of nothing. Or no one else. When God created the heavens and the earth, he, he simply acted in his sovereign way by speaking on six days, creating everything in the known universe. He's sovereign. He's powerful. And he did it in a brief time by speaking. Now think about it. I believe that God is so powerful that he could do it in one word. He took six days intentionally. Why did he do that? Well, I, I believe he wanted to set a pattern. He, he's trying to organize my life. I need organization. You know, we're, we're all living for the weekend in one sense, but we're, we're to work six days like God did, and we're to take one day off to worship him. And all through the Scripture, we see that. Again, God displayed this infinite power in creation. And I want to close tonight by, by reading the psalm this is long. Do we get Psalm 33 on there? Okay, this, it's long, but follow it with me. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe Of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. There are a lot of things that we think are awesome. Awesome cup of coffee. Really? A cup of coffee? That was awesome. Chocolate cake. And by the way, there's cupcakes tonight in the bookstore. Just remember that, I forgot to tell you that. That cupcake is awesome. It isn't awesome. God is awesome. He is the only one that deserves that title. He is awesome. He spoke everything into existence. I love Psalm 33. We have the privilege of of seeing the historical account and believing that what God has given us is truth. And as we read the Old and New Testament, the New Testament corroborates the, the historical account of creation. It affirms, it confirms everything about what God has said and how he's created. We know and serve a loving God. Let's pray. Father, tonight I thank you for your word. And I do understand, Lord, that that teaching a, a study like this creates many questions, especially to those of us that for years have have learned and dwelt and read from our favorite theologian or we've heard from our favorite pastor about theistic evolution and how things really did take millions of years to mutate and change. And yet all the evidence you've given us in your word points to six days and a young earth. And Lord, I don't want to be argumentative with people, but I just receive your word, as you've given it to me literally. And because of that, Lord, I'm able to see a Savior that you sent your very own Son, Lord, to die in my place, to take upon his life and to that cross my sin, so that my sin would be paid for, so that I might be redeemed and justified by faith. So I'm so grateful, Lord, for all that you've done. I pray, God, that you would encourage these, your people, as we read your word, Lord, encourage them to love you more and to see you as the awesome, powerful God that you are. And, Lord, that we would be your servant in any way you'd use us. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to love your word And receive your word gladly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.